We're back in Hebrews. After a month or so doing our Advent series, and then we'd last week, if you weren't here, we had a hymn sing. We sang a bunch of, of songs and hymns. Um, so we're back in Hebrews 5, and the passage before us today is something of a, a rebuke, um, something of a challenge. You could even call this scolding. It's a call for these believers, it's a call for Christians to press on to greater maturity in the faith. Now, I'm aware that perhaps your experience of the church has been mostly this, scoldings, rebukes, come on, get it together. Why can't you do more? Why can't you be more faithful, be more dedicated? There's this constant pressure always just to be doing more than you are. And this more than likely leads you to either be very prideful and self-reliant when you actually feel like you're doing pretty well, or to have a constant low-grade feeling of despair and failure. And yet for some reason, perhaps you just keep coming back thinking that maybe you can do enough. Maybe you can do enough to feel good about yourself for a long enough time or secure some favor and blessings from God. Well, let me be absolutely clear that this is not, well, this is not only not the message of the Bible, this is antithetical to the message of the Bible. It works against the gospel, the good news of Christianity. It works against our dependence on the God of all grace. As long as you think that you must do enough or that you can do enough to keep in God's favor or to keep up your salvation, you are rejecting the gospel and you are rejecting God. However, we come across passages like this in the Bible. We come across passages of rebuke and warning and challenge. We come across commands. And they do have a place, even for those saved by grace. And so in speaking like this, one thing to keep in mind is that God is not merely aiming at your outward behaviors and just calling you to get, get it together and change yourself. He is much more deeply aiming at your inner desires, at your heart, at your loves, at your motivations, and promising himself to renew them and to give you strength and to do what he is calling you to do. In the words of Paul, perhaps the best kind of short summation of this in, in, in Philippians 2, he says, God works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God has given you both the will and the, so the desire and the work, the strength to do this. And because of that, he says in Philippians 2, you are, you must, you are too, you must work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because God is working in you. It's not all on you. You can't do it. God is in you to do it. The God who saves us is also the God that changes us, that renews us, and equips us to live for his sake. So even as we go through this passage today um, that is somewhat of a rebuke and a challenge, I want you to have a sense of hope. I want you to know that rebukes and challenges like this are not an invitation to turn away from grace and just do it on your own. They are not an invitation to stop depending on God. They are rather an invitation to give yourself 
more fully to the grace of God that not only saves you, but sustains you and strengthens you and changes you. You can't do it, but he can in you and through you, and he wills to do that. So we'll jump into this. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll work through it. So Ephesians, or not Ephesians, Hebrews 5, starting at verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Uh, so I know it's been a while since we've been in Hebrews, but um, the author has just been um, explaining the significance of who Jesus is and what he's done, what it means for Jesus to be this high priest. Um, that's what the book of Hebrews is all about, the supremacy of Jesus. Verse 11, about this we have much more to say, and he's going to go on to explain more of this. But it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing, not necessarily a compliment. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the very basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal life or eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. All right. Well, this is essentially a charge of immaturity, right? The author is saying, in so many words, you are still immature. You, it's a charge of being perpetual babies in the faith, forever just needing baby food, never growing past that stage. Baby food is fine. It's good for a stage. It's necessary for a stage. But we are meant to grow up. And so after years of claiming Christ and hearing about Christ, they are, perhaps we might be, still no more mature or stable or wise or discerning. Now, here's the scary thing about this. Most of the warnings in Hebrews, and there's a lot of warnings in Hebrews, are about falling away from God. And so there's commands to hold fast your confession, keep going, take care that you're not deceived by sin, keep exhorting one another, all of these things. And we are tempted to read this warning as fundamentally different from those warnings and to take it less seriously. We are tempted to think, well, those warnings have to do with persevering and making it to the end. This is only about maturity. But if you keep reading through Hebrews 6, in the very next verses, you see that these are the same warnings. The same thing is going on here. The author is concerned that their lack of maturity, their lack of concern to grow up in the Lord and just continue to be babies in the faith, might be a sign of falling away from God. And so in a sense, to mature is to hold fast is to grow up in the faith, is to persevere, is to bear good fruit. And all of this is to gain assurance that one's faith is genuine. Maturity in faith, in, in godliness, in discernment, in knowledge of God is, is not merely an optional add-on 
to being a Christian. It is a part of what it means to be a Christian, to grow up in grace and allow God to work in and through us. And as we go through that passage, we see three characteristics of a mature faith. I want to point them out one by one. First, we see that mature faith involves truly hearing God's word. So that first verse and that that phrase about this we have much to say, it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. Um, This word translated dull is the same word that you find in chapter 6, translated sluggish. We are not to be sluggish or slothful. Now, if you think about slugs and sloths, they are two animals that aren't in any hurry to get anywhere or get anything done. Perhaps they can't be, but that's where our words come from. We must not be like that, but rather earnest. Earlier in Hebrews, we were told to pay much closer attention to what you have heard, lest we drift away from it. So this dull of hearing is not about being deaf and unable to hear. It's about covering our ears and not wanting to hear, refusing to hear, or perhaps hearing but refusing to do anything about it. We hear God's word, we hear words spoken, but they make no difference in our lives. And so this dullness of hearing is not something that we just fall into and have no control over. It is a willful tuning out and ignoring of God. Um, John Stott writes, A deaf church is a dead church. A deaf church is a dead church. That is the unalterable principle. He says, God, still John Stott, God quickens or brings to life, feeds, inspires, and guides his people by his word. A, A deaf church is a dead church. This is how God works, through his word. And so, dullness of hearing, sluggishness, slothfulness, complacency, coldness of heart, and ultimately falling away from God begin when we stop listening to him. And of course, this kind of listening isn't only about gaining factual knowledge, though it includes that. It is about having our whole lives our desires, our hearts, our motivations, our loves, our actions, our words, our behaviors. It is about opening our whole lives up to the leading, to the correcting, to the forming of God. To truly listen to God is to allow God to confront us and correct us. And so there is no point in the life of the Christian when we can stop being teachable when we can stop hearing, when we've arrived and no longer to hear God speak. No, to to do this would not be to just coast and stay the same. It would be to fall away from God. Jesus, quoting the Old Testament, said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need God's word like we need sustenance, like we need food to get through the day. We are absolutely dependent on it. You don't reach a point where you no longer need bread or food. The psalmist writes, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God, through his word, similarly, shines a light on a path, on, on the path of our life, a path that is often dark and mysterious and confusing and dangerous. So no matter how long you've been a Christian, 
you have just as much need to hear, to truly hear God's word as when you first came to Christ. This is, of course, why we preach. This is, of course, why we preach through the Bible, expositionally helping you to see what Scripture, God's word, says. This is also why we do this together so that we may help one another in this, help one another truly hear. Now, it's possible to regularly gather with the church and hear the preaching of the God's word and to still be dull of hearing. I can think of several ways that we might do this. If you come here and are merely looking for, merely thinking about how God's word applies to somebody else, oh, they need to really hear this, you will be dull of hearing. You will not be hearing it for yourself. Likewise, if you come here and hear God's word and you're only thinking of ways to justify yourself, only thinking of ways, only hearing things that prove that you were already doing everything right, only looking for affirmation and unwilling to be confronted by God's word, you will be dull of hearing. Also, if you come here and you are only looking to go through the outward motions of church, to check off a box and then get on with your life, you won't truly hear anything that is said. You'll just be waiting for it to get over. How awful would it be to gather regularly with the church have the word of God right there before you, ready to be heard and grasped, and yet fail to truly hear it. This is something that all of us can take to heart and be diligent in. The second characteristic of truth faith that we see here is this, well, of, of mature faith. Um, that is truly grasping and understanding God's word. So hearing, but then grasping and understanding and growing in our, our knowledge of God's word. So verses 12 and 13. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. He says, by this time you ought to be teachers, which tells us there's an expectation that as a Christian, there ought to be movement, there ought to be growth, there ought to be maturity, and a, a maturity, a, a growth that is grasping and understanding the truths and the doctrines of Christianity so that you can better not only understand them yourself, but communicate them to others. Perhaps early on in, in, as a Christian, you, you heard lots of phrases, you heard lots of truths and statements and verses, and you could repeat them. Well, God created the world. Jesus is God. Jesus died for my sins. There is eternal life and a day of judgment coming. But as you progress, as you reflect on these things, as God's Spirit works in you, you ought to come to understand them at a deeper level. Come to understand the significance of them and put them in your own words. Phrases like saved by God's grace are no longer just answers to a th Sunday school question, but they are the lived reality and experience of your life. You know that you are saved by grace. And you want others to know that. For those of you that have ever had a substitute teacher or been in the position of a substitute teacher, you know that there's a big difference between getting there, I don't know exactly how this works, but opening up the book and reading it to a class. The difference between that and having studied a subject 
for years, given yourself to it to fully understand and communicate it, and then communicating that to a class. There is the expectation that this is what God's people are moving towards, not just being able to cite a bunch of rehearsed phrases, although there's a place for that, but truly being able to share from your own experience and explain the truth of God because you've experienced it and you have matured in it. So how are you maturing in the faith? What solid food are you pursuing? Are you chewing? In light of Hebrews, a good place to start is just the nature of Christ. As I said, the the book of Hebrews is largely about the significance, the supremacy, the nature of Jesus. That's what the verses just before this was about. So certainly when the author here is talking about maturity, he has this in mind. A big part of maturity is grasping who Jesus is, what his death accomplished, and what that means for you, for me, and for the world. You could spend thousands of hours on this topic, both intellectually understanding it, experientially just sitting in it. You could get a PhD on this topic, and many do, and still not exhaust it. We are talking about God himself, which is an an inexhaustible topic. Uh, Maturity also means grasping the nature and the character of God the Father, the nature of the Trinity, the the workings of salvation, what sin is, God's creation of the world, the nature of the church, and, and many more things. There's many ways that we might grow up into maturity. And this is not only a call for those who want to go into some full-time ministry of some sort. This is a call for all believers. And it doesn't only have relevance for you. Your growth and maturity benefits the church and benefits the world, the non-believers in your life. The, the picture of a healthy church that the Bible gives us is one where all the members are growing and maturing in grace and the knowledge of God, becoming increasingly stable and secure in their faith, where teaching and ministry are happening all over the place. And so you seeking the Lord in prayer, in Bible study, in, in worship, in living a pure and devoted life, both in secret and in public, is an act of love to the church. And the opposite is also true. Your failure to seek the Lord, your failure to live for Him in public or in secret, to seek His glory, harms the church. The failings of pastors make the headlines, and often rightly so, But the failings, however small, of church members also bring harm to churches and to our witness as well. Now, maturity doesn't stop with beliefs and doctrine. And so verse 14 begins to connect our grasp of doctrine to our godly living. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature. And who are the mature? those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's a good phrase, trained by constant practice. Knowing good and evil, living for the Lord, living a godly life is more than getting our doctrine straight. 
It's more than taking a class and getting all the right answers. It comes in part by practice as we live out what we've heard. Now, of course, there are many situations in, quite, in which it is quite easy to discern what is right and, and not. Should I tell the truth or tell a lie? Should I forgive or seek revenge? But much of life is not that simple. Much of life discernment takes practice and time and prayerfulness and seeking counsel from others and going back to God's Word and failing and finding grace. And we grow up in wisdom and maturity as we do this. This requires us to get out of our quiet time, get out of our, our gathering with the church, and get into the nitty-gritty of life. We train our powers of discernment as we consider what we do in our quiet, our downtime, what we watch and listen to and read. We train our powers of discernment as we gather with family and friends and interact with them and learn how to love. We train our powers in discernment um, in, in our thought life, what we linger on and give ourselves to and refuse to cling, refuse to let go of. Maturity in Christ cannot be limited to just a religious section of our life and kept from touching all other areas of our life. Maturity in Christ includes our whole lives. Um, Jesus gets at this in Matthew 7. Um, it is often part of the charge that he brings against the religious leaders of his day, that they were coordinating off their maturity just to one area of their life and saying, we're good. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. In other words, it will not suffice to say a bunch of religious, churchy, Christian-y things to speak much about Jesus, perhaps even to look like a very Jesus kind of person, but fail to do what he says. That is to build your house on the sand. Maturity encompasses our whole life, inside and outside, what we believe, what we love, what we give ourselves to, and how we act. Now, at this point, you were probably feeling one of two things. Some of you are probably feeling that you're pretty mature in the faith already, and this is kind of a pointless message. What are we to do with this? Good thing those other people can hear it, though. Others of you are acutely aware of your lack of maturity. And you feel some combination of godly conviction and self-imposed guilt or shame. Well, I believe, and we should believe, that the Bible speaks to everyone. And the Bible, including this passage, has something to say to everyone. We don't all have to be in the same exact place. We don't all have to be in the same exact place as the audience of Hebrews, to benefit from this. So what is the point here? 
Well, certainly a big part of this, part of the point here is that our maturity, past, present, and future, is, a, is simply a growing up in the grace of God poured out on us. Maturity is a growing up into the grace of God. It is grounded in, flowing from, building on the grace of God in Jesus. This means that maturity is not a position, it's not a badge of honor, it's not an achievement, it's not a ticket to eternal life, it's not a way to puff ourselves up and, and, and put others down. It's how perhaps we might see maturity, that's how we approach it in some other areas. That's not it, what it is for a Christian. And this is true no matter what stage of maturity we are at. So look at the last few verses there. It says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from good dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now, notice what it does not say. It doesn't say, let us leave the doctrine of Christ. It says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. In light of the list that follows then, this elementary doctrine seems to be the initial faith and repentance of conversion, the basic confession needed to come to God through Christ. Furthermore, this leaving by no means implies doing away with or forgetting about the foundation of faith and repentance. But is about growing up in, coming to understand all the implications of building upon this new life of Christ. And so Peter says at the end of his second letter, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This grace and knowledge is not a one-and-done thing, but a lifelong endeavor and experience of growth flowing out of the foundation of God's grace as we behold Him more and more, deeper and deeper, and behold His goodness in all things. We love Him because He first loved us. We seek maturity in Him because He gave Himself for us. Even in the life to come, which we talked about the last few weeks, our calling and purpose will be to grow and delight in and rest in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what we were created for. And so in our pursuit of maturity, let us not forget this, but worse, let us not contradict this. Maturity is not some deal we make with God. It's not a transaction here, I'll do my part and you do yours. Maturity is not proving to God that he should love us. It's not justifying ourselves, proving our worth, securing our salvation. It is growing up in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Um, there's a quote from Tim Keller that many of you have seen in our, our membership material that you've gone through. Um, I'm going to read a part of it. It says, The gospel is therefore radically different than religion. Religion operates on the principle, I obey, therefore I am accepted. And this is how many people approach Christianity, approach Jesus. 
The gospel operates on the principle, I am accepted through Christ, therefore I obey. And then this last, last part, a lack of deep belief in the gospel is the main cause of spiritual deadness, fear, and pride in Christians because our hearts continue to act on the basis, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. And so if you want to be spiritually dead, full of pride, full of fear, rarely humble, rarely confident, then seek maturity in faith so that God will love you, so that you will feel good about yourself, so that you can look down on others, so that God will bless you. You might read this present passage and completely forget what the previous chapter said, that we have a high priest who is unable, who is, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then this promise, let us therefore, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may, with, may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That doesn't work with seeking the Lord just to get something from Him. That doesn't work with seeing the Bible merely as a rule book to how to secure God's blessings and love rather than as a story of His love and goodness and His pursuit of us. But if you want to be spiritually alive, bearing fruit inwardly and outwardly, resting in assurance, but also motivated to act and live for Him, seek maturity and faith because of who God already is to you in Christ. Seek maturity and faith because His favor and His goodness and His blessings and His promises are already yours in Christ through faith in Him and His death. Seek Him because He has already rescued you from your sin and the guilt and death that it leads to. A shallow and faulty view of, of God's grace asks, what's the minimum, minimum that I have to do? How can I keep control over my life, do what I will, and still get some good things from you, God? Well, that fails to understand that God is good and gracious in all things, including in his commands. A true and full understanding of God's grace asks, how can I more fully give myself to him who has purchased me? How can I grow up into greater maturity so as to glorify him, be a blessing to others, and find life? Knowing that he is a source of all good things. Let's pray.